Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Everyone, welcome back to Podside Picnic. I'm here yet again with uh, <clears throat> the host with the absolute most, that being Pete, <laughs> and we also have joining us all the way from New Zealand, uh, which is not the land down under. There's probably a good nickname that I'm forgetting for New Zealand, but it's way down there, folks. Over and, under, um, I think. Yeah. The, okay. There you go. And um, she is a writer and author of novels specifically, which have uh, a strong speculative and fantastical element. Her name is Emma Burquist, and she is the author most recently of the newly released Missing Presumed Dead and also of a previous novel, Devils Unto Dust. Emma, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad we could get the uh, time zones figured out. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what, it was, it was quite an adventure figuring out. Like, you're like 16 hours ahead of us or something yeah, ridiculous like, like 18. that? Yeah, like 18. I mean, it depends on when uh, Daylight Savings is going on. But yeah, we're either like 16 or 18 hours ahead, which translates to six hours behind usually. It just, it's it's very bizarre. I had a friend in Brisbane, and whenever we talked, I had to switch AM to PM and add two. It was yeah, it's, very I hard mean, to figure out. Uh, it's a very strange calculation. But yeah, yeah no, of course. I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I was, if there's not a nickname, but I like to think of New Zealand as the Canada of Australia. <laughs> oh, man. I bet some yeah. Kiwis are going to get pissed when they hear that. Oh, I'm sure they will. <laughs> Australia's hat. That's right. That's well, what it's, it's the way that like Americans don't really care if we're mistaken for Canadians, but Canadians get like really pissed if you get mistaken for an American. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally true. I remember uh, I studied um, Farsi in undergrad. There's a point to this story mm-hmm. related to Canada. <laughs> oh my God, and seriously? On the, first, on the first day of, of, uh, of class, the teacher was like, all right, everyone say one sentence you want to learn in Farsi. It'll be your first Farsi sentence and I'll teach it to you. And I said, teach me how to say I'm a Canadian. <laughs> Um, anyway, on that note, you're obviously American, but you're all the way down there. And I'm sure there's a great story behind that. Uh, Um, yeah, this is where Weta is and, uh, they have jobs there. That's a good reason. And I'm sure that Pete Pete and I, Pete and I are both temperate, cold climate kind of guys, despite Mm -hmm. the fact he lives in Vegas, uh, (laughs) which is hilarious. But, um... (laughs) We both massively envy you being in New Zealand, I'm sure. Oh, it's so great. It's yeah, nice. I, I, it is pretty cold right now. And it's also, well, I live in Wellington, which is literally the windiest city in the world. Like, screw Chicago. It is, when the Southerlies come in from Antarctica, it is so cold. And no one here, everyone in New Zealand is like in denial about how cold it is. They're just like, oh yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's like, no, it's like freezing outside with horrible wind. And then they don't have central heat. And they're like, yeah, just put on a sweater. (laughs) 
That sounds oh. that sounds like Iceland or like Etzel companies hundreds often compared to. That sounds perfect for me though. Like yeah, I would yeah. rather I mean, like cold weather than for sure. Yeah. Well, right now it's summer in New York for me, and mm. I am just sweating like a pig. So. <laughs> That sounds awesome, to be frank. <laughs> so I've got a question about this because I'm one of those people that I get the Atlas out and I make plans to move different places. And sometimes yeah. it happens. Mm-hmm. One of the things I found out about New Zealand a couple of years ago that made me like move it off the list was everybody said that the Internet was crappy and the reasons were geographical and they weren't going to get better. So it's actually improved a lot. It was pretty bad, but we got, uh, what is it, Google Fiber put in? So they've just been basically shooting, you know, the fiber down into the ground or whatever, and it's really improved it. But yeah, because it is so far away, there's just not a lot of infrastructure. Sure. But yeah, the the internet's fine now. I mean, it it might be a little bit slower, but not something that you would notice. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not playing Fortnite here. I'm old, so that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I'm not, you know, yeah, exactly. I don't need... But I haven't really noticed a difference from, say, California or something. It's just, you know, normal Internet. Well, now I'm even more jealous. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I guess I want to ask you about, you know, your book and your writing career. And um, so, you know, one thing that I often wonder about, one thing we've talked about, because we've actually DM'd a lot about mm-hmm. uh, writing, you know, because mm-hmm. we're both hashtag writers. Um, am, hashtag am writing. Hashtag am writing. We are both am writing <laughs> folks. Um, <laughs> you know, like how your work, I would say like um, Devils Into Dust, which I haven't looked at, but it's it's mm-hmm. got a, a sort of zombie-esque element, right? Right. And the new one also has a magical element, so it's a little bit more on like the urban fantasy side of things. Whereas, yeah, a little more modern. Yeah, so everything you do has sort of a fantastical or speculative element, and they're both classed as YA, technically, right? Technically, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, the thing about YA is it really is just an age range. It's within YA, like you can kind of play around with any genre you want. Yeah. So you know what what led you. Um, I guess, I guess two things for the benefit of our listeners, uh, if they haven't looked at your book, could you tell us a little bit just about what your most recent one is about? And then I'm also curious, um, how you got into these subjects and this type of writing. Sure. Um, so missing presumed dead, um, is, I would describe it as sort of a, uh, neo-noir ghost story. Um, and it's about a girl who can uh, see ghosts, but she can also tell when people are going to die just by touching them. Um, and she runs, like literally runs into another girl and sees how she's going to die and she's unable to prevent it. So when the girl's ghost comes back and she encounters her, she decides to help her sort of solve her own murder. And that's, you know, basically the the plot. It's th- that mystery plus the speculative elements that go along with it. Um, And as for YA, I think it's just, it is a really versatile thing because like, like again, it's just an age range. So within that you're allowed a lot of leeway to jump around from genre to genre. So you can do contemporary and you can do fantasy and you can do science fiction and you're, you're not as pigeonholed as I think you would be if you were doing adult fiction where once you write, one thing that's popular, you are kind of expected to stay within that subject. And then I also think that because I love horror movies so much, I just think it lends itself really well to teenagers. Like if you look at all of the classic horror movie franchises from say like Friday the 13th to Halloween to Scream, 
like all of these, it, it, they're all, they all center around like a group of teenagers. And it, it just, I don't know if it's because it's like the lack of authority or that you're more vulnerable as a teen because you're, you're kind of overlooked, but it just lends itself really well to scary elements. You know, I got it. I, I, I hope this is a compliment. I think it's a compliment. <laughs> I finished this book about an hour ago, uh, missing presumed dead. I mean, and I didn't know until this point that it was young adult. Because oh, really? No, that is, I mean, yeah, that's cool. There's, there, there isn't a hint of condescension in the whole thing. I mean, you like the, the, the author's voice, well, your voice <laughs> doesn't, uh, doesn't do anything to, but speak directly to the reader the entire way. And mm. I just, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm floored by that. You, you well done oh, thank because you. so often I read young adult stuff. Like I always think about, I don't know, like the dark is rising super Susan Cooper, that kind mm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you always know when you're like, that is good stuff, but you always know it's young adult as you're reading it through because they're always trying to lead you by the hand. And you do not lead people by the hand here. Like the, it's like magic is a is a mafia. Mm-hmm. And this kid is like one bad decision from getting her ass kicked the whole way through. (laughs) Poor Lexi. Yeah, she's had it rough. (laughs) So can we talk about that a little bit? Like, um, I I sent a couple of questions over to you and it sounds like I'm joking, but I'm really serious. Like, like as a kid. Sesame Street, what it always said was that we're all special and different in some ways. And your book posits that being special and different can be absolutely horrible, which is cool. Well, sure. So, I mean, the, the thing is, everybody, everybody wants powers. I mean, life is life is boring. That's one of the reasons we read speculative fiction is because you want to sort of hear about people with these special abilities. But I get really annoyed when stories try to pretend that people don't want superpowers, which happens in like vampire books a lot. Like there's always somebody who's like, no, no, I don't want to be a vampire. I want to hold on to my humanity. (laughs) And it's like, no, I don't believe that for a second. Like everybody wants to be a vampire. Like, come on. No one's like, oh no, I don't want to be young and immortal and powerful forever. Like that's bullshit. Like, like, I want to finish my nursing degree instead. I know. Like, Like, no, no, I'd, I'd, I'd rather, you know, grow up and go to college and like die. I mean, like, are you kidding me? Like that. And it immediately takes away any tension in the story because I don't believe that. So there, there has to be a real cost to power, I think, if you're going to make, make it something that people don't want. Like, there should be a cost. Like, and, and even when there is a cost, usually people would choose it. But I wanted to create a power that would be, like, legitimately horrifying, that you really wouldn't want, that it would make your life so much worse to have it. So, like, yes, seeing ghosts is, like, maybe a little bit scary, but... The part that I think would be terrifying would be knowing when, like, the people you love or anyone you touch is going to die. Like, that's a terrible knowledge to have to carry. And that is, like, that is something I would never want to know. So that was basically why I chose that. Well, and there's a it's a it's a it's a it's a rich direction to take. Um, where am I going with this? God, I, I sound like an idiot. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of of books and even television shows that deal with the idea of of uh, 
power with a price. Mm-hmm. So I think like there was a there was a series that came out fairly recently in the past few years where this girl was a zombie and could eat people's brains and the result sort of process their memories. Right, I zombie. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And, and then in uh, uh, Constantine, you had the priest mm-hmm. who, if he touched things, he could gather memories from it. But it was mm-hmm. because he was like a turbocharged schizophrenic. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. In the, in the, I only know that from the movie, and I, I haven't read much of the comics. Okay. Well, I mean, that's everybody listening is has, is at the same point. We're good. <laughs> I guess I guess where I'm going with that is you do that and you make it clear the stakes, but you aren't really performative about it. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, this is my life and fuck off. Mm-hmm. And like, I really admire that, especially from someone at this age. She's just not a whiner. And I think I guess in some ways that might be the most real unrealistic thing is that <laughs> like she's a genuine hero. Yeah. I mean, people talk a lot about sort of teenagers being angsty and, and whining a lot. And I, I haven't found that in a lot of the teenagers that I encounter, like a lot of them. I mean, we put a lot of pressure on kids nowadays and they kind of just have to deal with it. Like they just suck it up and they deal with it. And to be honest, millennials bitch a lot more than Gen Z does. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I'm sorry, but you know, I, I, And yeah, like when you're talking about condescension, like I think that's one of the worst things you can do is like condescend to your reader like that. That'll be one of the things that immediately puts me off from a book is when someone is talking down to you. I mean, it's just it's a very uncomfortable feeling. And I think uh, we treat particularly younger people that way. And it's a real disservice. Yeah. Well, and I think as a culture, we're all very sensitive to it now because Mm -hmm. I mean, all of corporate America is trying to sell us stuff, assuming that we're babies. Right, right. Right. And I want to jump in here and say, by the way, that millennials, and I are both millennials, I agree that we complain a lot, but nobody bitched more than Gen X, Pete. Okay, that's true. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now they're really mad that they're being ignored. (laughs) Right. The silent generation. Right, Uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's, stuff, that's stuff all we have silence. for today, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, I'm can sorry. I, that was a can, low blow. Can we, can we all unite and just say that the real enemy here is boomers and just go with that? Oh. Boomers are the eternal enemy. They're like, yeah, they're the final boss in all of this. Well, I completely agree. For like 10 more years, let's be fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair enough. Uh, Emma, I would ask you, so like you have obviously some really well thought out, nicely developed thoughts about how YA should work and Mm. probably also about how speculative fiction broadly should work. So I'm very curious, who are some of your favorite writers and the ones that have really influenced you to have this, this way of looking at things? Um, I mean, the, the ones that I think have been, been the biggest influence. I mean, a lot of what I write is usually influenced by what I'm reading at the time. So if you read my first book, you can probably tell there's a lot of Cormac McCarthy in there to the point where I like straight up stole the judge as a bad guy. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, no, it, wow. It's an homage. Right? You don't own the name, the judge. Um, so I, I really admire a lot of his work. Um, I just think he has such a unique way of describing things where it's incredibly bare, but incredibly detailed. Like I'll always remember, like he, in Blood Meridian, there's a point where he talks about mountains looking like crumpled butcher paper. And I remember just being like, holy shit, that is such an accurate and vivid way of describing mountains. And I'd never thought about it that way before. So that's something that I kind of try to do is think of ways to describe things that are 
sort of unusual. Um, and then I really love Margaret Atwood. Um, Oryx and Crake is probably one of my favorite books. And I think that that idea of sort of literature that is also sort of verging into science fiction is, is a line that I really like. Those are the two that, that wow. Those are some really highbrow (laughs) answers that are like way over the head of a lot of books in this podcast. Honestly, those Those are are two that I really like. I mean, I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I read anything and everything. Like I also, uh, have, uh, you know, a lot of junk on my shelves, but it, you know, I, I, I love also, you know, a lot of kids' books. Like, yeah, I, you know, I love Harry Potter. Everybody loves Harry Potter. You know, I loved sure. uh, the His Dark Materials growing up. Those were always the um, A Porson Chronicles. Um, trying to think what else. And I mean, I, you know, I, the f- very first book I bought with my own money was a Kelvin and Hobbes collection. So Ooh. <laughs> that, oh, that is, that's great. I mean, you can't, you can't get higher than that. Yep. No, that's, well, that's the highest of brows for sure. Yeah. Watterson is a friend of the show. Absolutely. Is he really? I, in had, our hearts. <laughs> I, his brother was my English teacher in high school. Oh, seriously? Yes. Yes. Wow. Mr. Watterson. I know. Oh, it my was God. Like, he designed the T-shirts for the Austin High debate team, and it was like the coolest thing that had ever happened. That is, whoa. That, yeah. wow. That I'm is really right cool. Now. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel bad my... for his brother, though, because, like, being the brother of, like, one of the most, like, I Famous know. and revered, like truly the, the most revered, probably artistic recluse in the sense that like he's a saint. No one could ever say anything bad about him. Whereas yeah. like, Sal- Salinger, you could say bad things about him, arguably. Sure. But like Watterson is like, by all accounts, an unbelievably nice person who just doesn't want to be famous. Yeah. So. Well, but, I mean, his brother was one of my favorite teachers. Like he has, a, if, if his brother's anything like him, like just great sense of humor, really active teacher, really enthusiastic. So I think just just an all around good family there. Wow. I'm going to have to take a minute to process that because like <laughs> sometime Pete and I are going to break down like speculative fiction within Calvin and Hobbes. That's going to be a fun episode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. With him on, man. I'm telling yeah. you. Right, we're going to hunt down Bill Waterson and drag him out of, out. out of hiding <laughs> like no one else could. But we can do it. <laughs> you know, Mr. Waterson. So right, right after we get William Gibson on, then we'll have we'll have Bill Waterson. There you go. Uh, so I'm I don't want to get too personal, but it ties very well into this book. So I'm like, we can always cut this out. Um, <laughs> so do you have a relationship to Wicca? And what is that relationship to the book? Because I started seeing like rule of three connections mm-hmm. and things coming back at you connections, especially in relationship to the villain. Right. So my relationship to Wicca is that like any kid my age, I was like really obsessed with the crafts. Sure. And, you know, I, I don't know. It was such a, a big cultural, mo- you know, all those new age stores popped up and we all went and got like moonstones and books about how to like, you know, do divination on dreams or something. Oh, so sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not Wiccan, but I was into that sort of, you know, new age Wiccan lifestyle for a while as like a middle schooler. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, and, you know, I've, I've read stuff about it and I just, you know, I'm really into, um, you know, uh, witches and horror movies. And it's just something I think that you pick up on, like, and I have friends that are Wiccan that are more into that and you can, you know, ask them questions and Right. I I had a friend in grad school who described her behavior in college as being socially a witch. So, I, I mean, I started. Right, exactly. Yeah. I wear a lot of black. Uh, I think that counts. Absolutely. 
<laughs> okay, well, do you think that 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 information that you picked up just by being in the culture, do you think that informed the 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 system of magic you built here? I I guess I'm just asking: Am I putting a thermometer up to th- air here, or like was was that a conscious choice that you made? Um, I don't know that it was conscious. I think I think I put in what I know about sort of witchcraft, and and I you know I've read I was I was reading at the time a book about um Russian magic and divination um. It's called like uh, the bathhouse at midnight. So some of the like Russian superstitions and things I, that I re- was reading about, I would sort of put in there. Um, you know, not I try not to like overdo it. I didn't want it to be like because sometimes if you are if you go too far in that direction, it's very clear you're just sort of like copying and pasting from what you're reading on Wikipedia or in a book or something. But just sure. you know, like hints hints here and there throughout to sort of make the world more immersive. Well, this I this is going in a direction. Can I can I like like grab the rope and run us in an odd place here because <laughs> Go for it. I it's really exciting to me because one of the things that really caught me about this is it definitely did have like it wasn't just an LA street magic story. Mm-hmm. And I have recommendations along those lines. This is probably one of the best LA street magic stories I've ever read. Oh wow, but thank like, you. Oh yeah. No, you like that this is I'm going to be recommending this book to people. In fact, I guess technically I am right now. <laughs> but th- this book has a Russian flavor and it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like somebody just read a book with some Russian crap and then stapled <laughs> it in. Like you really tried to internalize and you really tried to make sorting choices. I did. Yeah, and um yeah, part of it was that book, and then, yeah, I don't want to admit this, but yeah, I was also watching a lot of John Wick at the time. So oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that was a pretty big influence. So, I mean, another high by literary reference right there. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to tell a story here really quickly. So I one of the things my job has done to me over the years, and I guess it's a net blessing, is they, they, they send me around the world to help set up call centers or teach classes in different call centers around the world. And mm-hmm. the Philippines is a place I go to a lot. Oh, how cool. Yeah, and my wife is Filipino, which adds an extra layer of handiness to this Mm -hmm. whole thing. But one of the things that comes up is uh, the line between myth and reality. Mm -hmm. And that line is the blurriest thing there that I have seen in any place I have traveled to. Because the, the, the transition between... I've never seen an electric light to everybody has a cell phone has Mm -hmm. been over the course of like 40 to 50 years. It's been wildly short. Right. And so like the one thing and this I'm describing a thing that many extremely intelligent people I know believe Uh, they believe that in a particular mall in Cebu, which is sort of the Filipino Chicago Mm-hmm. Um, if you get completely naked in one of the dressing rooms, a chute opens and you go down and you are eaten by a giant snake. And that giant snake is the daughter of the owner of the grocery store who made a pact with the devil. Well, first of all, I love that. 
oh, like, and I ask people about this. I'm like, well, do you believe this? And they're like, well, I, I don't disbelieve it. Right. I always keep a sock on. I, I, oh, wow. that is so fascinating to me. And I, yeah, I love that every, I mean, even, even in pockets in like the U.S., there are urban legends that people truly believe. Like there was one in San Antonio. So I went to school, um, I went to college there and there's a railroad track there where, and I did this as a freshman, you, you take your car, you park it on the railroad tracks and you cover the back with baby powder. And then you wait and you wait and see if your car moves. And then you're supposed to see handprints in the baby powder because apparently a busload of kids died on those train tracks. Yes. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh my God. So d- did you live in LA? Like I did. You- yeah. I lived in LA for about three years. So what, can you think of connections you made between your book and your experience there? Because like, as I was reading through this, there were all sorts of little things that popped out at me. Like I, um, I've been to Koreatown a bunch mm-hmm. because I love Korean ta- food more than life. Yeah, and it's awesome. Yeah. So like descriptions you made, like hit me. And I'm just wondering how much of that was conscious and how much of that was just like, this is my life. I mean, it's, it's both. I do, I do, you know, a lot of research before writing. So I, I get really like obsessively into things. Um, so, and I think originally I was considering setting this in San Francisco since I thought that, that you know, that's a very noir city with, you know, the, the Bay and the, and the Hitchcock and the fog type thing. Um, oh yeah. Cool town. If you could afford it. <laughs> right. I lived there for a few years too. And, and that's <laughs> why we moved to Wellington because it's ridiculously expensive there. Um, so I was reading um, Slouching Towards Bethlehem by Joan Didion. And so, like, like yes, there's that really – because I was reading about the the counterculture of um, San Francisco uh, in, in, in the Bay Area in, in, you know, in the 70s, um, which is probably the most famous story in that. But then she had this other essay that was about a murder that took place in San Bernardino. And the way she described – San Bernardino talking about the the Santa Anas and just sort of that desert L.A. culture. I was like, you know what? I, it just made me think about when I lived in L.A. And it just sort of I got into this sort of like Black Dahlia kind of mood. And I was like, you know, what? I, mean, I think L.A. would be the right place to set this story. Because I, when I moved there, I, you know, I'm originally from Northern California and there's this like sort of North California, South California rivalry, but it's like a very one-sided rivalry where the Bay Area, Bay Area like really hates LA and LA like does not give a shit about anything else. But LA. <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah. LA's like who? Yeah, like what? Yeah, they don't <laughs> care. So I went there thinking I was going to hate it because it was going to be this, you know, like Hollywood, like shallow people. Everyone's obsessed with themselves and does like CrossFit or whatever. And yeah, there's some of that, but there's also a lot of really creative people there and a lot going on in the art scene because it's like finally cheaper to live in LA than it is to live in the Bay area. Um, and there's this real like weird undercurrent of like sadness and desperation to the city because like so many people go there with, you know, this dream of like being an actor or being a director and so few people actually make it. And everyone is really just trying to claw their way to the top and so that underneath all the glitzy stuff there's this despair and that sort of felt like to me like a really good analogy for what's happening in the book where there's this like sort of secret underground thing that that you can kind of feel but you don't know that it's there 
But and then a lot of the sort of like the geography stuff is from my own experience. And then the descriptions of the club are also just from memories of like times when I was dragged downtown and just had like a fucking horrible time because there's really nothing worse than like a four story club in downtown L.A. Just it's awful. I'm getting so, nauseous thinking about it. To be it was, with oh you. my god! It's just like there's like a line to get in, and they have dress codes. It's horrible, and the drinks are so expensive, and everything's really loud, and like, is like people don't want to talk to you because like if you're not in the industry, they'll just they're they're looking at you, but like looking over your head to see if there's someone more important to talk to. It's terrible. This this past year, um, I was in. Um, I was in uh, L.A. with my wife. She had to do some passport stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, we we stopped by a bar to go in that a friend recommended. And I didn't meet the dress code. Dress code and I got so, like, middle-class white guy, I demanded to speak to the manager. And I'm still, like, personally appalled. I should have slunk away. But no, like, I, I had to have somebody with a nicer suit tell me to fuck off. <laughs> I, but like a dress code for oh. a ball. I mean, who does that? How is that? And like a it's thing? ninety degrees. Who's wearing a jacket? I know, what the and hell? everyone has like a suit coat. Like I, what? And they're like, oh, you need to wear heels. Like I don't, I can't wear heel. Are you kidding me? I will fall. I don't know how to wear heels. Like I'm already clumsy. I can't add inches. So I, I have a question here. Like, um, and I, I, I promise you, I am not doubting your uh, YA chops whatsoever. <laughs> But what's interesting to me is that a lot of the stuff you're thinking about and talking about do strike me as somewhat pushing towards more uh, more adult themes. And you said to me, you told me, hope I'm not snitching on you, that you are interested in trying out uh, an adult thriller. Is that yeah. kind of a direction you want to move in? I mean, I I have I have such a love for YA that I will probably always write it. I just think that I would also like to do something that also is adult. It it. And my idea for an adult one would probably go back and forth between someone who is an adult and, and sort of flashbacks to that person being a teenager. So it would still kind of, I think, be half YA. But um, yeah, I mean, I read, a, I read a lot of adult, but yeah, I mean, I read a lot of YA too. And there's so much that's going on right now in YA that's, I mean, if you look at, at you know, the books that are selling really well right now, uh, a lot of them are YA. There's just... And in all different genres, like from, you know, Angie Thomas with like the hate you give that has been the number one bestseller for like over a year. Um, and then there's like, you know, lots of fantasy that's that's going on. That's really popular right now. Um, have you considered just doing like a Scandinavian style murder mystery, but it's in New Zealand? <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, I have considered Nordic Noir. Um, but what's New Zealand was- for the bridge? <laughs> oh god oh, right like i don't know uh sorry i'll, I'll have to find a tenio word for that <laughs> but uh yeah no i i like okay well part of me is like i should just move to norway i'm right nordic noir uh but yeah I, I mean there is some good some good scandinavian noir out there but um i did get drunk recently and make my friend watch the snowman with me which was the most ridiculous movie i think i've seen in a while i loved it Oh, you so you liked it? No, I mean no, I didn't like it. I <laughs> uh, I loved watching it though. <laughs> right, it's just like I haven't seen it, but like all the trailers, it just looked like it it totally mismanaged tone. Oh yeah, no, they have no idea what they're doing, and I'm sorry, you can't like a a shot of a snowman is not sinister. And right, you can't exactly. Keep 
cutting to a shot of a snowman. Well, it did give us the very useful Twitter meme, the, the Mr. Police. I gave <laughs> yeah, you all Mr. the police. Yeah. And like, you can't, you can't put it in English and, and not change the character's name and just pronounce it. You can't say Harry Hole. It's <laughs> not, that's not, you can't. Yeah. No, that's totally. not okay I mean if you so going forward and I, I know you don't want to give me too much about upcoming projects or anything but like going forward whether it's adult or why do you think you're going to stick in the uh, speculative slash fantastical realm um, I mean yeah I just I I love sort of scary elements so much whether it's you know zombies or ghosts um, I love cults <laughs> I love uh, anything to do with any kind of monster like, I, it's just something that I'm particularly drawn to and you know, maybe I'll write like a, a straight contemporary at some point, but I, I I just always want to put in something scary. I always want to include some type of blood. <laughs> well, I, you if you keep <laughs> if you keep doing that, I'm going to keep buying them. So that's totally legit. Yay! Okay, good. Then I'll keep writing them. <laughs> so um, I, I'm always afraid about forgetting this because there was uh, we had an interviewee where I didn't bring this up. Mm-hmm. on the episode and I caught all kinds of crap. I'm sorry, Olivia. Um, <laughs> can I recommend a couple of books to you? Yes, please. Okay. So the, the first one in reading this that I started thinking of, and I don't really know why I'm having trouble parsing it down is Octavia Butler wrote a book called fledgling. I think I've read that one. I love Octavia Butler though. It, it, it was her last novel and it was about a um, a girl. Uh, basically, uh, there's a, a race of vampires that coexist with humanity, and they tried to make a superior version with genetic alteration, and they get her, and she's a black vampire. Nice. And yeah, they they go full Confederacy on her. <laughs> oh shit! Oh yeah, it's really ugly, but it's a it's a great great book. Um, the other one, and like this one was obvious. It's not even a real surprise. It's Tim Powers' Fault Lines okay. because yeah, I, I don't know if you've read any Tim Powers. I haven't. Oh man, he is all about L.A. street magic. So he does books about Santeria. He does mm. books about Las Vegas and the the poker representing the different aspects of tarot, like that, that kind of thing. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. Okay, I'm writing these down. Awesome. And like, okay. if these are great or terrible, I I I formally request that you give me praise or crap on Twitter about it. It's totally cool. Well, I mean, let me just say, I like most things. <laughs> I am not necessarily discerning. I will watch or read anything, and I will generally enjoy it. That's a trait that I envy, and that my co-hosts <laughs> might learn to envy as well, right, Pete? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I like hating things, too, but sure. liking things is better. It is. It's just a lot more fun. I'll usually find, I will usually enjoy at least some element of whatever it is I'm reading or watching. I wish that your your spirit would possess Pete when he's watching some of these comic book movies that we do and he could learn <laughs> to just enjoy them a little bit for once. <laughs> it, it's not happening, dude. <laughs> um, I have a question for you because you, you mentioned this before we started recording, actually, because you, uh, you very kindly went and listened to some of our, our humble podcast and you said that there were moments that you wanted to jump in and argue with us or add things. And can you well, think of some of those? Not an argument. I was, oh, you were talking about, um, I think the forever war. Ah, uh, indeed. Yes. And uh, you were talking about, um, the, the weight of the thing and I was, of 
you know, how tiring war was and the weight of the actual things that they were carrying. And I wanted to jump in and start talking about the things they carried, which I think is one of the best war books. And just how, who's, is it Tim? Tim what's his name? Um, uh, Tim O'Brien. Tim O'Brien. Thank you. And, and I mean, you know, it's literally called the things they carried. And it just like he lists all of the things that the soldiers are carrying and you can just sort of feel the weight of it. And just, you know, like he talks about the boredom when you're waiting for battle and those parts in between. So I just wanted to, you know, jump in with that. Um, that's so great. I just find, no, that's... Yeah. I got really excited. I was like, Oh, you know, it would be a good, a good recommendation. But anyway, I'm, yeah, I'm glad I, that get, you're like, I get excited. <laughs> you're introducing all of this, this literary fiction into our little genre fiction. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I'm an English major. I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. I'm the one who does this normally. I'm just glad that someone's doing it uh, so that we can gang up on Pete here and be like, oh, yeah. see? Well, I mean, I can give you a bunch of shows. I mean, look, I mean, I haven't even, look, I told you I was a dragon kid. So if you want to talk Anne McCaffrey, like you need to have me back oh on. My God. <laughs> oh, God. Honestly, my parents and That's I still awesome. have an inside joke about how when I was like eight, and we were going on car trips. We, we listened to the books on cassette back then of uh, some of the Anne McCaffrey dragon ones. And like Perk. to this day, we'll sort of make fun of the voice acting in that and be like every every dialogue <laughs> line was like laugh for lar. There's just something. So it was a lot of fun. Oh, though, God, were. I was so obsessed. Just you every purring book, man. Yeah, I, I never read them, but it wasn't out of like some sort of snobbery or something. They just weren't put in front of me. So like I read all the Piers Anthony books mm-hmm. and those like you can't say those were a better choice. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Those um, Animorphs. And, I was super into Animorphs. Oh remember those? God, that's awesome. Yeah. Those were cool. And like for being for being kids books, those were really heavy. Again, like they were they were books about war, like these kids like using these almost like guerrilla tactics to to wage this war against this, you know, infiltrating parasitic alien race. They were very serious. You know, they made all these like sacrifices. I think one of the kids got like stuck in an animal form. They well, were hardcore. In- Neoliberal is the phrase that bubbles up into my head. Like they feel very Clinton era to me. Like not yeah, to be a bummer. Yeah. I think you can definitely see that for sure. Yeah, but they were they were a lot of fun. You're talking to two '90s kids here, Pete. I know uh, you, yeah, you were like yeah. a, you were an adult grown man in the '90s. Some of us were like eight years old. We were not thinking about neoliberalism yeah. at the time. That's right. Yeah, no, just, some of us didn't vote for Clinton. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not my fault. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. This episode is done, man. Because what was my alternative? Bob Dole. Bob Dole, the most harmless Republican ever. Oh man. I, okay. I actually, there's one more. This just occurred to me, Emma, and I I don't know why, so I'm just gonna roll with it. Okay. Have you ever read Charles Strauss's The Jennifer Morgue? No. The Jennifer <laughs> Morgue? Yes. Okay. Okay. So let me tell you about this series. It is the most insane. Uh, we can swear on our own podcast, right? Yes, unless iTunes okay. listens. Don't, don't I, ban us. I already did. <laughs> it's the so. most insane fucking thing I've ever read <laughs> in my life because it is a hybrid between the television show The Office, the British Office, <laughs> the Cthulhu Mythos, oh. and James Bond. Sold. <laughs> wow. 
That's incredible. It, it is madness. So the idea is you have this British agency totally wrapped up by bureaucracy. And their goal is to, as spies, keep the fact that there are unseen depths opening up below our feet invisible to the British public. So oh, it's I love like that. Men in black Cthulhu, basically. Like Yes. Absolutely. Wow. And it's just, okay. I, I mean, it, it's so good. And like, well, it also annoys me, but you know what I'm saying, man? Like, that's a good read. <laughs> no, totally. That sounds awesome. I'm going to. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I want to ask Emma, um, is there anything, you know, I'm going to repeat for our listeners right now. Um, your new book is Missing Presumed Dead. And mm-hmm. your previous book is Devils Unto Dust by Emma Burquist. And uh, go check those out, folks. And I want to ask you now, is there anything else you want to plug or anything you want to elaborate on? Um, no, I mean, I can give you I can give you YA Rex. Like if you if you want yeah. more sort of mafia uh, magic, I would recommend the Curse Workers series by Holly Black. Um, and that one is like they're it's more um, mafia forward as opposed to just to like it's not just magic like they are they're very much like a a mafia crime boss type thing but those are a lot of fun i think there's three of them uh the first one's called um black cat or white cat black cat or white cat i think it's white cat okay so those ones are a lot of fun that was one of my like influences when i was writing did she write the spiderwick chronicles I think she is extremely prolific, um, but she writes a lot of sort of uh, modern fairy tales that are a lot of fun. Okay, because um, I like I am convinced I've read her. I'm, you probably have. Like I, like I said, she has like a lot of books, but I think the Curse Workers series is like slightly lesser known. But I, that one is probably my favorite of hers. Cool. Awesome. Um, well, Emma, I think we're probably reaching a good point to call it a day, but. Um, Thank you so much, and I'm sure we'd love to have you back on sometime if you want to come. I would oh, love to, yeah. Please oh, yeah. push your next product here. We want you back. <laughs> yeah, this has All been right. great, honestly, and we really appreciate it. Oh, great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I was super nervous, but yeah. You did great, I think- and I, I would say have a good evening, but it's like uh, <laughs> noon where you are yeah. or something yeah. stupid <laughs> like that, so uh, have a nice day. <laughs> yeah, great. I'm going to take a nap now. <laughs> take, thanks so much. Uh, take care, everyone. All right. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.